Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude in over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. This episode is brought to you by our show sponsor, Organifi. I'm always looking for kind of quick and dirty ways to pack in extra nutrition, polyphenols, antioxidants, fibers for my gut, and even herbs for my stress response, like the more adaptogens, the better, which is why I use Organifi powders every day, several times a day. I love to put them into my water. This is great if you're one of those people that struggles to just get enough hydration, get enough water. And if you feel like water's really boring, these powders can zhuzh it up for you. My kiddo loves them. She feels like she's drinking juice. I also throw them into my smoothies just as a way to get some extra nutrition. My personal favorite is the red juice. So it has lots of different red powders Things like acai, cranberry, pomegranate, strawberry, raspberry, blueberry, all of those polyphenol-rich red and blue powders. And if you've listened to the show or you've seen me on Instagram, you've heard me talk about the benefits of these powders. They feed a very unique and particular type of bacteria in your gut called Acromantia. Acromantia is a keystone player. It's wicked important for keeping your gut healthy and strong. It prevents leaky gut. It also is very important for metabolic health and insulin signaling and controlling blood sugar. Now, unfortunately, I do a lot of stool tests on people and see that acromantia is low, sometimes even below detectable limits. That's a real bummer. Some of the bacteria in our guts are little piggies. They'll eat anything. And then some bacteria are more like snobby foodies that will only eat specific things. This acromantia bacteria loves to eat red polyphenols. So the more red foods you can eat, the better. And getting red powders is super important as well. So the red juice is something that you can grab super easy and it's low sugar. All of Organifi's powders are under three grams of sugar per serving. And most of them offer up fiber as well to counteract any spike in blood sugar. So highly recommend, I throw them in my smoothie so I can pack in a bunch of veggies without adding a ton of fruit that might spike my blood sugar. And I can still make them sweet and palatable. Go to Organifi's website, Organifi.com. You can click the link in the show notes. Be sure to use the code FUNK. It will save you 20% off of every single order you ever place. You get a good deal and you get to support all the good things in your body too. And before we start off the show, we got a shout out show sponsor, BioCult. Their boosted product is a multi-strain probiotic with four times the concentration of their original formula. That's why I like this one. It packs a good punch. All of their probiotic strains are backed by clinical research. It really makes a great everyday probiotic. I heard from a listener recently, this stuff has changed me, she said. So it's great stuff and there's no need to refrigerate it. So really handy to have around and to travel with, which is always a good idea. If you're like me, your gut gets a little cranky when you travel, when you're off your normal routine. So taking a probiotic can help with that. It can also, those capsules can be pulled apart. So you can give it to your kiddos by sprinkling it into their yogurt or their um, oatmeal. I put it into a little shot glass with water and Hattie shoots it back. So if you want to check out that probiotic, head to their website using the link in our bio. Use code FUNK15 to save 15%. Hello there. Today's name of the game is sleep. So we're going to be talking about sleep. Uh, There's a lot of things 
on this show that I present to you that costs a lot of money, right? Being healthy in today's modern world can definitely come with a high ticket price tag. I'm not going to dispute that. But there are a tremendous amount of things that I refer to as free wellness that we could implement. And sleep is one of those things. And I do try to bring a fair amount of that to the show. Uh, Other things would be uh, nature bathing, forest bathing, being in nature, um, breath work, uh, meditation, mindfulness, um, paying attention to our thoughts, right? These are all things that don't cost us any money, but can absolutely move the needle for our health. So again, sleep is one such thing. Dr. Kristen Zames, who you heard from a couple of times over the past month, says that sleep is the best pill you'll ever take. One of my mentors says there is no immune supplement that is better than a good night's sleep. We know how important sleep is. That's not the point of today's show is to give you all of the reasons why sleep is so great. The point of today's show is to uncover some of the basics that might be impeding a good night's sleep because it's all fine and good to talk about the benefits of sleep. Great. What if you can't get sleep? And a while back, gosh, it was probably like a year ago, maybe even longer, I, I posted a question about sleep. Or I asked on Instagram, I said, do you have any questions about sleep? I'd love to do a sleep podcast. And so many of the questions that came in were like really high level type questions, like kind of like biohack, like I wear this monitor and I see that my sleep, like it was like really kind of getting into the nitty gritty of sleep. But what I see in my day-to-day practice with one-on-one clients, with YHR clients, with CCP clients, what I see is that people aren't actually doing the basics. They want to, they want to talk about the next level, like sleep geek stuff, but they're not they don't have the basics covered. And I've said this before, and I will say it again on the show. You can't just like jump over the basics to do like the next level biohacking stuff. You have to do the basics. So that is the point of today's show is to teach you about them, get you thinking about those. Are you, are, do you feel confident in this, in these, in, uh, in these, um, areas of sleep and are these some of your problems and also what you can do about them? So I talk about stuff that I see. What I didn't discuss, this was a, a, a video that I actually created for Instagram, but what I didn't discuss is waking up to pee or bladder stuff. So I asked, Kristen sees a lot of this in her work. So I asked Kristen about this um, off the air. So I'm going to share with you some of the things that she says, because some people wake up to pee and they're like, oh, this is why I'm waking up. Maybe so maybe not. Some people wake up once a night to pee and they fall right back to sleep. And that's not really a problem. Um, you can still get that those restorative sleep patterns if you're waking up once a night to pee. No big deal. But if you're waking up more than once a night, that's what we would put in the abnormal category. So if you're waking up more than once a night to pee, we, we got to think about what might be going on. Is it your bladder that's waking you up? Or do you wake up for some other reason and then you just go pee since you're awake anyway. We're going to talk about those some other reasons in today's show, but I do want to touch upon the bladder thing in case it is more of a bladder issue. And so if your bladder is waking you up at night like to pee, then I, this is where I brought in Kristen because she sees so much of this in her work. And the number one thing we have to think about is how are we operating during the day? Okay, so what's happening at night you know, really we need to be focusing on what's happening during the day as well. Normal bladder void intervals are around four hours. So you should be able to be fully hydrated and be able to hold that full capacity for four hours. If it's happening less than that, if it's, if you have to pee every one hour or every two hours, if you feel like water just runs right through you, that is a neurological reflex. That's not a true capacity issue. That's more of a neurological reflex. So it's the brain down. It's the brain down saying, got to go, got to go, got to go right now. Um, If the bladder is irritated 
during the day and you're going more frequently during the day. And so the bladder can be irritated for a number of different things. We can see this in different, it's really not the, the point of today's show, um, but certain things can aggravate the bladder, caffeine, uh, coffee, chocolate, seltzers, carbonation, alcohol, artificial sweeteners. Those are the big things that Kristen sees in her practice. Um, oxalates can sometimes be an issue um, for some folks that can, they can feel a little scratchy on the bladder. So if that's happening during the day, if there's irritation to the bladder during the day, that's can, that can cause you to go more frequently. It's uncomfortable and you might feel more comfortable when you go pee. When that's happening consistently, the bladder becomes trained to be able to only fill to that one or two hour capacity. That's what we mean by the neurological reflux. So because of that, because the bladder is trained to only be able to hold a couple of hour capacity instead of that four hour capacity, you're waking up at night to pee because that's what you're doing during the day. There's higher frequency during the day. So there's going to be higher frequency during the night. So if it truly is your bladder that's waking you up at night, that's when we really need to work on optimizing frequency during the day. And so then the night just comes along with like a by, without effort. It's like a natural byproduct. So you're working on um, holding, essentially like stretching your bladder capacity during the day and let the bladder kind of do its thing without the brain taking over. Now, obviously this is way more complex than I'm making it sound here on the show, but I do wanted it, since this is a, a show about sleep and like the, the top three reasons why people are waking up at night, I did want to bring this into the conversation. Um, if you recognize that this is an issue for you, you might want to do a deeper dive, either working with somebody like Dr. Kristen Zames at Oceanside Physical Therapy or doing some of the functional medicine deep dive. Usually it's a combination of both to figure out, hey, what's going on and, and why, why is there so much bladder irritation? So keep that in mind. If you're waking up to pee, the, the, the kind of the questions to ask yourself, am I really waking up to pee? Um, or am I just waking up because of some of the issues that we're going to discuss in today's show? And then once I'm awake, I'm like, oh, geez, I got to pee. So look to what you're doing during the day. Do you have no problem holding your pee in for a four-hour stretch during the day? If that's if, if you don't, if you're like totally fine, it's probably not your bladder waking you up at night. If it's happening during the day, then you know that's that could be what's going on at night. A couple of just like pro tips that Kristen gave, uh, gave, if this is you, something to try if you are waking up to pee at night. Obviously, you know, don't drink before bedtime. Like that's kind of a no brainer, right? Don't drink a t tremendous amount of water or liquids before bedtime. Watch for those things that could scratch up the bladder or cause irritation against the coffee, artificial sweeteners, alcohol. You know, if you're drinking booze before bed, pay attention to that. Do you get better sleep when you don't drink booze? More often than not, the answer is yes. Uh, seltzers, carbonation, chocolate, just pay attention to that. And then another um, another suggestion she has before you, going, you go to bed is you can lay down with your feet up, so like legs up a wall, yoga style, and let the drainage happen. And so then you can go to the bathroom right before bed and try to get a good night's sleep. So those are the things that we've got to say about bladder. Now, before we get into the whole sleep discussion, I do want to announce here that the next carb compatibility project is going to start June 6th. That's a Monday. We'll open up registration a few weeks before that. So be sure you're on the email list or you follow me on Instagram and I'll let you know as soon as we open up the registration, you can head to thefunctionalnutritionist.com forward slash CCP to learn more about it. But this is my four week nutrition plan that I only run twice a year. And I created it a few years ago because I was finding that clients over and over and over again were coming to me with like really dysregulated blood sugar. And that was impacting their sleep, their hormones, their energy, their brain fog, their cognition. Um, this is the first place that we had to really start with people to get them to feel better. So I created a four-week plan. Hundreds of people have gone through it with great success. The next round starts June 6th. So especially if you're listening to this episode, when I start talking about blood sugar, and you're like, gosh, I think, I think this sounds like me. This is the program for you. So again, head to thefunctionalnutritionist.com forward slash CCP. You can sign up there if 
registration isn't open, just pop your email in and we will get you all set up when it's time to go. Okay. So that's what I wanted to mention about that. Now let's get into the rest of the conversation about other things that could be impacting your sleep that you might not be thinking about. The very first place to start. And I, um, I will say that I did not, my daughter's now almost eight for the first two years of her life. Nobody slept, nobody slept. And, um, I was a great sleeper before, before that PC pre-child. Um, and then I had to kind of like retrain myself to learn how to sleep again. Um, and a lot of that had to do with my sleep hygiene. So if you've never heard that term before, it's basically like what you do, it's like the pre-sleep runway. What you do leading up to sleep time is really important. So we'll talk about that a little bit. The most important premise to understand is that our circadian rhythm, our sleep and wake cycles, it really is impacted by light. So the light, like outside, the sunlight gets into our eyeballs and then it communicates to areas of the brain and that's kind of what runs the whole show. The brain's kind of a big deal. I think we can all agree. It's not a huge shock that many people struggle with sleep when we think about the fact that we spend the vast majority. Oh my God, my Aunt Linda is texting me right now. I know DMs are a big no-no. She's so I'm going to just text you. She's, she's earned that right. She's been my aunt for 38 years. Um, so uh, anyway, we spend so much of our time inside. I think it's, I forget the exact stat, but it's like 90% or more of our day is spent inside. And you know, where where our bodies are really so interconnected to the world, the earth, nature around us. And we, we don't really live a life that's necessarily congruent with that fact. So we start to have physical ailments. We have body breakdown um, because we're living like outside of the way that our bodies are kind of designed to live. So we kind of have to troubleshoot some things, um, but not being exposed to natural light. And in fact, being not only not being outside, not being exposed to natural light, but being exposed, exposed to so much of the tech light and the blue light that makes a huge difference to our, like our sleep wake cycle. And I know it's these things that I, I think probably a lot of people are aware of this concept. Um, but it's one of those things where we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I have time, I'll think about that. But it's so fundamental to our overall health that we really should try to map out our day in such a way that, um, <clears throat> that it supports these things. One of the most important things that you can do to regulate that circadian rhythm, that sleep-wake cycle is go outside first thing in the morning and get sunlight in your eyes. I live in New England. It's March. I flipping hate March in New England because it's like one day it's like, oh my God, spring's here. And the next day it's like, just, just kidding. It's winter. Um, so it's a real mind F, but it's hard to, for me, it's harder for me to get outside first thing in the morning when it's like 20 degrees or less. So a light box can be helpful. Um, there is a company, I think it's, I can't think of it off the top of my head. If somebody here knows it, Lux, L-U-X, I believe. I think that's the one that I recommend just because it's a, it's a great price point. But during the winter months, you can like sit, if you're drinking your coffee or you're doing your morning routine, you can sit in front of a light box for like 10, 15 um, minutes. Yes. Okay. So Huber, somebody just brought up Huberman. Absolutely. Um, love his, if you're into like real intense, research and like evidence-based stuff. Um, his work is great on sleep. And, um, I know I, I, this is like the stuff that I live for. So I love his work. I know some folks find it like a little too, too much, too long, too intense, um, for their, for their brains. They're just like, give me the, give me the goods, give me the basics. Um, so anyway, this is kind of like a basic one. I'm not going to go into that, that level of detail, but really, really, really important. And then this isn't just like theory. This is like legends, like how our bodies work. So light box first thing in the morning, but ideally you're getting outside and you're getting outside as much as possible and getting that light exposure as much as possible during the day when the light is actually out. Um, and that's one way that we can do it. So other things to think about, and this is where I kind of like, kind of catch people is to think about any 
light exposure that they're getting in the evening. So obviously this can be our phones, this can be our computers, this can be our iPads, this can be our Kindles, this can be our TVs. We have no shortage of screens. Um, so dwindling the use of those down in the evening is really important. And if that's just like not available to you, I would at the very least pay attention to the lights in your bedroom. And I always think about this anytime I travel, if I like we rented like an Airbnb or stay at a hotel, because there's so many lights coming in um, just based just for from electronics, whether it's like an air filter or an alarm clock or a TV, or anything that has like a little blue light or a little green light, um, those things can really impact your sleep. And I just don't think it's, it's something that we give enough credit to. So tonight, your homework assignment is to go around your bedroom, the place where you sleep, and see if there's any electronics that's emitting even like the little, uh, littlest, tiniest bit of light. There, there might be more than you think, and you might just be so used to it that you don't even notice it. You don't even pay attention to it. So we have an air doctor air filter in our, um, in our bedroom, and there's even a sleep mode that you can put it on. So like all the lights go out, but one, there's still like a little light. So I put something over that. Um, I literally will not be able to sleep if now I'm so used to dark darkness. Um, it sounded like kind of morbid, didn't it? Uh, just, I've just, I just resigned to darkness. Till the end of my days. Um, I can't sleep with, with any light. So pay attention to that. And like I said, I tend to notice this more when I'm traveling or I'm at somebody else's house. I'm like, oh, there's a lot of light coming in. Blackout curtains can be super, super, super helpful um, as well. So those little tiny things make a huge deal. So if somebody's coming to me, they're looking for sleep help and we haven't addressed this. I'm like, do not Pasco, do not collect $200. I'm not going to give you any supplements for sleep until your room gets dark, right? That's the first place that we have to start. Um, what is, I wish on, in like webinars and stuff, I can show you images on Instagram lives. I cannot, but I want, I'm going to see if this will work. This is kind of wacky. So you can see, hopefully you can't see my filthy computer screen. Uh, but you can see here, this is a Dutch test. And what we're looking at is a cortisol rise. So cortisol, we know, um, we kind of think about it as like our body's main stress hormone. It does a lot more than that. But cortisol um, and melatonin, kind of like I've heard it referred to as the sun and the moon. So cortisol should have this nice spike in the morning, and then it slowly tapers off throughout the course of the day. So that's what you can see plotted out here. Um, that's really what it should look like. That red line in the middle is the ideal uh, cortisol output from our adrenal glands. So the brain yells down to the adrenal glands, and the adrenal glands produce the cortisol. And so we should get a big spike in the morning, <clears throat> or an adequate spike in the morning. And cortisol is kind of like our get up and go. So what happens is we open our eyes when we wake up and light gets into our eyeballs and then it tells the brain to tell the adrenals to release cortisol. So we should get this nice spike that like gives us our get up and go. We're like, okay, we're gonna set sail on our day. This It's known as the cortisol awakening response. It also has... Um, it also has other effects. It's really supportive of the immune system. It can do a lot of other things. But for the sake of this conversation, we want it to get up and go. And then cortisol should, from that point, should slowly taper off throughout the course of the day. What we can see sometimes when we're running a Dutch test and we're plotting out cortisol spots throughout the course of the day. And by the way, this is my favorite way to test cortisol is, is testing free cortisol throughout the course of the day. If you ever um, get like a cortisol test and it's a blood test or they're just testing at one point in the day, that really doesn't tell us a ton of information because cortisol should change throughout the course of the day. So if you're just like, oh, at three o'clock, I got my labs drawn, they tested blood cortisol, this is what it was. That doesn't tell us about your um, like really what's going on with cortisol. I've had people bring labs to me and they're like, oh yeah, they tested my cortisol, it was fine. It's not really, really super duper accurate in regards to, or it's not 
insightful in regards to like what your cortisol is actually doing. So we want to plot, we want to see it plotted out for that reason. So we should see it taper off throughout the course, you know, uh, as we lead into night. And this is what I'm saying is that the cortisol in melatonin is like the sun in the moon. We think of melatonin as our sleep hormone. Totally. It also has like really powerful effects on the immune system. It's an antioxidant. Melatonin does like a whole lot. There's actually, um, a new, paper that came out that showed melatonin. Um, we make some of it in our gut. We also make some of it in our uh, pineal gland or pineal gland, uh, however you want to pronounce it, um, and in the brain. And it's shown that melatonin can help with uh, the glymphatic system. So we have, you've heard of the lymphatic system in our body, lymph running through. In our brain, we have the glymphatic system, and that really works while we're sleeping at night, and it helps to clear out any neurotoxin, like basically clear out uh, metabolic waste at night, um, which is really important from you know a brain health perspective, for longevity perspective, uh, but melatonin can help to do that. So it's really important that we're producing enough melatonin um, for a, a number of different reasons. But mel- melatonin is like the the moon and uh cortisol is like the sun so as cortisol goes down melatonin comes up and if that's not happening we can see issues with melatonin production so on that graph i was telling you right cortisol spikes and then it slowly comes down sometimes when we're looking at people's hormones we can see a cortisol spike like it jumps up at night right when it's supposed to be going down it like boop like leapfrogs up so when that's the case we're gonna have a really hard time with sleep because our hormones are basically doing the opposite of what we want them to do. And if we have high cortisol, we're gonna have a harder time producing melatonin, like I said. We're also, um, we can have a harder time producing HGH, human growth hormone. So our, our sleep, our repair, our rebuild, it's just not happening if cortisol is high at night. So this is another place where sleep hygiene comes in, where we wanna think about what are we doing? And you don't need a lab test for this. Like you can do all, make all of these interventions without lab tests. The labs are nice because they really tell us the specific intervention that we need. But I just consider labs sometimes it's like the motivation to do what we actually need to do. It's like, here's proof. Here's proof that you are a shit show. <laughs> Let's go. Um, I say that with much love and respect. I would never really refer to my body as a shit show. And I don't think you should either, but we have to think about, okay, why would cortisol be going up at night? What could be going on here? And so this is where, okay, lights, we just talked, we talked about that, but I would other things that might increase cortisol at night exercise. So if you're doing hard exercise at night, if you're a nighttime exeter, (laughs) exerciser, um, you might see like exercise can be cortisol eliciting. So you just might spike your cortisol at night. Um, and that can give us that like tired and wired feeling of like, gosh, I know my body's really tired and needs rest right now. But like my brain is like all fired up. Um, any time of any type of evening stress. So work emails or, uh, checking, you know, checking work emails, checking emails, checking DMs, whatever it is that might be like, okay, now I'm like, I'm on, right? Like ideally we want to be like tapering things down and winding down toward the end of the day. Anything that puts you on, uh, has the potential to raise your cortisol at night. I really encourage people to think about the shows that they're watching at nighttime. I love me a good show. Um, love to watch TV at night, but Scott's like, my husband's like, you don't like any shows. I'm like, correct. Because all of the new shows are essentially like trauma bombs. I don't know why this passes for entertainment, but like there's a lot of shows that are very stressful. I don't want to wind down my day and like, you know, set my sleep space with like mayhem, destruction, terror, like just like horror. Like that's the, that's not a feel good thing. Give me Bravo or give me nothing. Um, so really pay attention to what you might be watching at night. And is that eliciting a stress response in your body? Is your heart racing? Are you like cold sweating when you're watching TV? Might not be great from a sleep perspective. The evening news, you know, we know that the news is designed to rev us up. Are you getting revved up at night? Could that be impacting your sleep? 
So these are all like, I don't want to say that they're easy or simple things to do, but they're all free. Um, you know, we have one of the issues with being healthy is that all this stuff costs money, labs and supplements and all this kind of stuff. But there's so many um, free wellness things that are available to us. We just have to actually do them. So really paying attention to what your evening routine looks like and is there a way that you can calm it down i love me some epsom salt baths that's what i used to do when i had to kind of retrain my sleep cycle um when my daughter was little i would take a bath at night i would put in epsom salt it's a way to get magnesium into your body i would read a book like not with a screen or anything just kind of like de-escalate de myself and when i say read a book i don't mean like a thriller or like a page turner uh, that's going to keep you up and keep you on the edge of your seat. So really pay attention to what is going on in your evening routine. It makes a massive difference to the chemicals that are being produced by your brain, which will absolutely influence your uh, your sleep. So that's huge. I would say that's that's number one. That's the most important thing or the most common thing that I see. Number two is blood sugar. So we I'll often hear that somebody wakes up. Maybe they have a fine time falling asleep, but they'll wake up in the middle of the night and they're like, well, I just woke up to pee. Okay. Maybe so, maybe not. Um, what can happen is if our blood sugar dips low, so cortisol is a stress hormone, right? But it's known as the type of uh, hormone it is. It's a glucocorticoid, which obviously has something to do with glucose. It has everything to do with our blood sugar. So if our blood sugar dips so low, our brain is like, oh, hell no, because our brain needs a steady source of glucose. Unless you're running off of ketones, your brain needs glucose to, to do its thing. So if the brain is like, I don't have a fuel source available to me, that's, that's a stressor to the body. And so cortisol can be released to help to bring our blood sugar back up. Now, we store glucose as glycogen. We like, we eat it, we use it, and we, the rest, we store it away. And so when we're sleeping, most of us aren't eating while we're sleeping. So we're in a fasted state while we're sleeping. If your brain, or excuse me, if your blood sugar drops low and your brain perceives that as it does, it is going to ring the alarm bells, ring the stress response um, to bring uh, glucose back up so we can use it. If we cannot pull glucose out of storage, if we can't put, pull glucose out of the glycogen storage, the brain's like, oh shit, this is a bad scene. And what we can do is move into something known as gluconeogenesis, which is exactly what it sounds like, new glucose production. In order to do this, we need adrenaline. That's, that's like kind of what starts the show. So you know what adrenaline feels like in your body, right? If that's happening while you sleep, it's most likely going to wake you up. So if you wake up kind of with a start or you're like, you know, you wake up in a stress response, like your heart is pounding or you're like sweating a little bit or you feel a little bit off, that probably has a lot to do with the fact that your blood sugar dropped low while you were sleeping. So very, very, very common. What are the reasons for this? Well, if your blood sugar is like a disaster throughout the day, chances are it's going to be a disaster at night. So regulating blood sugar through diet is, is number one. Now, similarly to what I said at the start of the show about the bladder, if you have bladder issues at night, then the real intervention, the real work comes in during the day. Same deal with blood sugar issues. If it's blood sugar that's waking you up, more often than not, the intervention is happening during the day. The thing about blood sugar is it's, if you start your day off with dysregulated blood sugar, it can be really challenging to kind of like get yourself back on track. So my goal when I'm working with clients is to always make sure that we regulate blood sugar like right out of the gate. This not only helps with sleep, it also helps with cortisol issues, with stress hormones, with just overall feelings of energy, fatigue, brain fog, all sorts of stuff. So if you think that blood sugar is part of what's impacting your sleep, I definitely recommend signing up for the Carb Compatibility Project. We start June 6th, but we're going to open the card a few weeks early just so you have plenty of time to uh, get yourself situated before we officially begin. So head to the functionalnutritionist.com forward slash CCP. If you're like, ah, I think my blood sugar is really dialed in throughout the day. I think it's more of a timing issue with sleep. Then I do have some specific suggestions for you that you can try. Now, if you try to implement these and it doesn't improve your sleep, 
then I would really recommend signing up for the carb compatibility project. What you can do sometimes, what can be very helpful if your blood sugar is dropping low at night is to eat a bedtime snack, which I know flies in the face of so much of what we've heard, which is stop eating at a certain time. For some people, that's really important. For others, it's not. Uh, and this is where we have to understand that like we have such a unique physiology, each and every one of us, that um, what's good for the, the goose is not always good for the gander. So just because it works for your cousin Joe doesn't mean it's gonna necessarily work for your body. So sometimes, uh, especially if we're dealing with low blood sugar patterns, sometimes we uh, can anchor our blood sugar at night by having a snack at night. And sometimes that could actually be helpful with the production of our melatonin. So the, the, the go-to snack that I always give is like banana with some nut butter because it's got carbohydrates, it's got some protein, it's got some fat, and so it can kind of help you cruise through your um, cru cruise through your night uh, without waking up. So that is a strategy to try. Like I said, some people, especially if they have tend towards higher blood sugars, that's not an appropriate strategy. So you can trial you know, trial both of those things. Am I eating too late at night? Is that what's keeping me up? Or do I actually need food, more food at night to make sure that I sleep soundly through the night? So those are two different intervention uh, interventions to try. If anyone's listening and they do a bedtime snack and that has helped, uh, helped them, that's definitely helped a lot of my clients, let me know. And we're going to quickly interrupt this discussion to shout out one of our show sponsors. One thing that I hear from clients often is I used to be able to drink wine and now I can no longer tolerate. And there's a reason for that. We talk a lot on the show about processed food, but wine can be extremely processed as well. There are 76 additives legally approved for use in winemaking. This can be dyes, thickeners, GMO yeast. And the top 20 wines sold in the U.S., the most popular ones, all contain high levels of sugar. So my answer to that problem is dry farm wines. I've had a subscription for them uh, for years, and I absolutely love every single bottle they sell. They are organically, biodynamically grown, sugar-free, low alcohol, and they source wines from small family growers. So if you're like me and you enjoy the occasional glass of wine while you're cooking with your family, head to dryfarmwines.com forward slash funk. For Functional Nutrition Podcast listeners, they're offering an extra bottle in your first box for a penny. You get free shipping and delivery straight to your door. So check them out and enjoy. And then pelvic floor dysfunction. Uh, is it can also be a very common reason for night waking. I am not going to get into this conversation too much here just because this is something that I outsource to the experts. Um, I have Dr. Kristen Zames coming. She's been on the podcast before. She's coming back on the Functional Nutrition Podcast to talk specifically about pelvic floor and pelvic floor dysfunction because it can be so common. And um and so I won't get into that here, but that absolutely can be one of the reasons that folks are waking up at night. Uh, a lot of people struggle with pelvic floor pain and um, pain can, can the tricky part about chronic pain and, and by chronic, I mean the, uh, the acute injury has gone away, but the pain is lingering. That's usually a brain issue. Um, so if we've been through um, a, a pain, if we've been through something that's painful or if we've experienced ongoing pain, the, the, the brain can really register that as traumatic. And so it starts to really look for anything that might be perceived as pain. So a sensation in the body that might, you know, that might under normal circumstances might not be perceived as pain, can register as pain. The brain is like really on um, high alert, uh, hypervigilance, waiting for any of those sensations to be like, is this pain, is this pain? I think it's pain, I think it's pain. And so with chronic pain, we can see um, sleep disrupt disruptions, which is just a shame because we know that good sleep helps to calm the nervous system down, which can really help to help our sleep. So that that's a little bit of a tricky one. Um, uh, I will talk about melatonin supplements in a sec, uh, design your revolution, best handle ever had to stop intermittent fasting because it actually woke me up throughout the night, which is my blood sugar dropping so low. So glad you said this. Um, I don't, I feel like I talk a lot about intermittent fasting. I don't dislike it. I don't discredit it. I'm not saying it's a shit tool. I just don't typically see it working well for menstruating females. Um, 
If you have sleep issues, that can be really telling that your, uh, your diet isn't working for you or your, your lack of food isn't working for you. One, one thing that I didn't even mention, one of the reasons that we have low blood sugar is because we're under eating. We don't have, we're not putting enough, we're not eating enough to store enough glycogen. So we don't have enough glycogen stores. So we have to be eating adequate calories. I feel like I've been talking about this for 11 years. So sometimes I forget, but it's, I forget to mention this really big thing. Overtraining, so you're exercising too hard or under eating or under eating carbs or fasting or some terrible combination of all of those will absolutely impact your sleep. Absolutely without question. So make sure that you're not doing any of those things. Um, so thank you for bringing that up. Um, so many women are under eating. Absolutely. It's like the literally the number one thing that I've seen. I've been in private practice, meaning I've taken private one-on-one clients for 11 years um, and worked with clients in group programs for 11 years. It is by and large, the number one thing I see is that women are under eating. Number one problem. Um, because we are essentially conditioned to believe that our value is intrinsically linked to our aesthetic, to our looks, to our appearance. And we also believe that leanness is the um, most appropriate appearance. So aren't we in a conundrum? And then we're also told that in order to get that aesthetic, you have to starve yourself. It's not a great situation. So I certainly do not begrudge the women who are under eating. I myself struggled with eating disorders for 13 years. I get it. And also what a shame because it absolutely destroys our health. So, and thyroid nutrition RD, Lindsay is saying she sees the same. Those are like the big things that could be impacting your sleep. The big things that I see. Let's move on to cool, great, but now what do I do? (laughs) What do I do about it? Um... Lots of different sleep support. I'm going to talk about some of my favorites, some of the things that uh, I love to use and some of the things that have worked really well for my clientele. Now, if we don't know that you have cortisol, uh, high cortisol at night, we don't want to do things that are going to go like smashing down your cortisol. What we can, what I like to use instead are nervine herbs. These are different types of herbs that are just really supportive of the overall nervous system. They can make us feel very calm. Um, they can really help with sleep, not in a, um, like knock you in your head, like, you know, like put you out, put you under type of the way, but just because it helps to allow the nervous system to kind of like calm down at the end of the day. So there's lots of different nervine herbs. Um, lemon balm is one of my favorites. Um, I like oat straw. I, valerian is one that, that one tends to be a little bit more, um, has more like sedative effects. Am I saying that word right? I just really question myself. Sedative effects. It can make you feel a little bit more sleep sleepy. I don't always love valerian in the beginning of the day necessarily. Um, but uh, what are skull cap, passion flower, chamomile, and so a really easy way to get nervine herbs into your day to day life is to use tea. So um, tradition. Traditional Medicinals is one of my favorite tea companies. There's so many great ones. Um, This is a blend for sleep. It's called Nighty Night. This has valerian in it. Valerian's very stinky. So like, you know, valerian um, tea is like, it's not like super yummy. Uh, But this is a, a mix of lots of different things. Whenever you're using herbal tea and you kind of want a therapeutic dose, Rachel, I promise I will save this live. Oh, Rachel, I just recorded, um the listener question episode and I answer two of your questions. So tune in next week. Um, Use two tea bags, brew it, cover it up. So you want to brew it like, you know, pour boiling water over two tea bags. I'm sure a lot of people know this, but if you don't, it's a real, it's a real pro move. Um, And then cover it up so it can steep, let it steep for five to 10 minutes. So like a significant amount of time and then drink it. And that's a way to get like a real good, like therapeutic dose of those herbs. So that's easy peasy. Um, Another, this is a, this is a product that I have really been using and loving. This is Ned's Sleep Blend. So it's, it's a full spectrum hemp product. So it's organic CBD. It also has some of those nervine herbs. So it's oat straw, lemon balm, 
passion flower and skull cap, um, all organic wild crafted. And it's all in one um, mix. So it's like kind of like the best of all worlds. The sleep blend is different than regular CBD because it has a very specific cannabinoid known as CBN. CBN really helps to promote sleep. So I, if I'm just like a little bit extra keyed up, um, cause I don't usually struggle with sleep, but if I feel a little extra keyed up and I think a lot of us are feeling that way with what's going on in the world, um, I do take this at night and it not only like relaxes me, but I just, I can, I find, I used to have to get like legit nine hours of sleep to feel like fully functional. And I question if maybe I just wasn't getting deep sleep because I find when I'm consistently taking CBN, uh, the sleep blend, I can get seven hours of sleep and feel fully rested. Um, so I really do think, you know, I don't have any data on myself to say this like for sure. Um, I will, I should do that. I'll get that. Um, but I really think that it helps me get much more deeper sleep. I never feel groggy. With melatonin, I'll talk about melatonin in a second. Um, some people really experience like grogginess uh, after taking melatonin. And so the, the CBD, specifically the CBN, can really help be helpful for that. Um, but these, this is, this is like kind of like my nightly one, two punch. This is mellow. This is their magnesium blend. This flavor is the lavender berry. It's my favorite. There's a few different, there's three different flavors. One is non-flavored, uh, but this one is definitely my favorite. This is magnesium, GABA, and L-theanine. So I want to talk about those two things. GABA is a neurotransmitter in your brain and it calms everything down. We love us some GABA. Um, progesterone in, uh, in women helped, it has very, um, similar GABA-like effects on the brain. So like progesterone can help us feel calm and good and anti-anxiety and pro-sleep. GABA, same deal, right? So GABA's awesome. And you can use GABA, like I don't, I, I feel comfortable recommending GABA even if I don't know what somebody's hormones look like. There are certain uh, herbs, there are certain supplements that I would say, like probably don't use that unless we know if you're dealing with high cortisol, because we, like I said, we don't want to like just smash down cortisol. GABA is one that I feel pretty com comfortable using. L-theanine is, L-theanine is kind of like a, a showstopper, a game changer for some people. L-theanine also helps to calm things down. Um, I like taking it at night, but I also take it in the morning if I feel again, high stress days, um, or days that I kind of have like a squirrel brain that I'm having a hard time focusing. L-theanine can really help with focus. I mean, that's why I'm drinking magnesium right now. It's not just a nighttime. If you're stressed during the day, you can absolutely utilize this, but this is, this magnesium powder is my absolute favorite. I take it, uh, every single night. So these two together, I think it's called the dream set. You can get both of these together. If you'd like to conquer sleep with Ned's Dream Set, Functional Nutrition Podcast listeners get 15% off with code FUNK. Go to helloned.com forward slash FUNK or enter code FUNK at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash F-U-N-K to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. Melatonin. So somebody had asked about melatonin production or uh, supplementation. I'm kind of like a yes and yes, no, maybe so. I don't think it's bad. I don't love melatonin for long-term uses. And the the melatonin doses, uh, dosing dosages that they sell in the store are really high. Our body produces melatonin in like smaller amounts. And a lot of the studies for melatonin use are based on like 0.3 milligrams, 0.5 milligrams. So less than one milligram. But if you go into the store to look for melatonin, um, it's like one milligram, three milligrams, five milligrams, 10 milligrams. It's really, really high doses. I mean, it's actually pretty hard to find one milligram. Um, so we're taking bigger doses now, like I said, melatonin is an antioxidant and there are certain times and places where higher dose melatonin is appropriate. Um, uh, some cancer, cancer interventions, uh, endometriosis, but most of the time for sleep, we don't really want to be taking those high doses. So for people that are like, melatonin just makes me feel really weird and really groggy, it could just be that you're taking way too high of a dose. Melatonin is really best reserved for like, 
short-term periods, like you traveled and you have jet lag, um, or you like had a schedule shift and you're trying to reset your sleep pattern. Um, sometimes I've done like a sleep reset with people for four weeks where they're taking melatonin every single night for four weeks. I typically do that if I happen to see melatonin is low on their labs. We always want to ask the question, well, why is it low? But if somebody's not sleeping, if I can get them sleeping using melatonin for a period of time, that can just kind of help be helpful to like reset the whole thing. Um, so that's what I have to say about melatonin, but I, I, I'm not personally not a huge fan of long-term chronic use of melatonin. And then I think that's all of the things that I want to say. I'm looking at my notes and I think I handled them all. So nervines, whether you're doing it in tincture form or in tea form, CBN, magnesium, L-theanine, GABA, all of these are really helpful for sleep. But again, we're also, we're not just taking all of these things and overriding everything that I said in the beginning half of this, which is the reasons why we're struggling with sleep to begin with. We have to do all of those. These can be tools. These can be helpers. And I, you know, I keep all my tools, tools in my tool bag for when I need them. But ultimately we need to be working on the lifestyle, the diet, um, all of that too. Okay, so I'll stick around for a couple more minutes in case there's any any questions. I have a page on my website, by the way. If you if you all are ever looking at um, looking for my codes, because we have a lot of codes for a lot of different companies, and we have a page on my website. It's like Aaron's faves. My website is thefunctionalnutritionist.com. Um, so if you're ever like, oh, I wish I had that code, we do have a living resource. Uh, it's usually some variation of funk. Um, I love sleeping with no curtains and waking to the sun, but am I kidding myself about the light coming in? I mean, how do you, I would say, do you feel like you're getting adequate sleep? Do you feel well rested in the morning? Um, those are the, those are the things like, I can't tell you what's appropriate. Um, I would also are you getting light during the night? Like, is there a light coming in? Sometimes the light of the moon can sometimes impact sleep. So if you struggle with sleep, you could also just try to, you know, try something else. That's what I'm like. If, if you're, um, if what you're doing, if you, or if you need to, if, if you're trying to make change and you just keep doing what you're always doing, like that's usually not the way to affect change. So you could try it another way, which is to close the curtains and see if that improves your sleep at all. All right, friends. So I hope that was helpful. Holy smokes, it's 11-11. Make a wish and um, make a wish for better sleep. I'm wishing you all sweet dreams. Um, I'll see you later. <laughs> Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you got something from today's show, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.